you're listening to a message from Lifeway Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, please visit www.lifeway.church. Now, please enjoy this message from our pastor, Bruce Rhodes. All right, new series today, excited about alter ego, laying our egos down on his altar. If you're wanting to get the digital notes, you can go to lifeway.church forward slash 4-28. That would be January, February, March, April, the 28-19s right there at the top to look at our digital notes. Follow along with me and let's learn something today. Are you ready to learn? And I'm excited. Every time you come before the world, before the Lord in his presence and through his word, he wants to teach you something. So our prayer today is, Lord, show me those things that I haven't seen up to this point, right? Are you with me? This can be an interactive service. I do, I do really good when, when there's some feedback coming, coming from, the, from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And Thank you to those that are joining us online. We're glad that you're there. And uh, we know that some of them are out of town. Some of them are recovering from mouth surgery. Different ones are, have already contacted us and said we won't be there, but we will be there, connected. Look at, let's look at Romans chapter 12, and then we're going to pray. You turn to Romans 12. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you again for an awesome time in your presence. Thank you that we have ears to hear. Thank you that you're our shepherd and we're your sheep and that our ears are in tune with you. We, turn, uh, we tune out all of the distractions, and we tune in the voice only of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for teaching us and showing us and, and working in us and with us, Father, so that we're right in the middle of your will at all times. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's talk about the two words, alter, ego. Alter with an A, not A-L-T-E-R, but A-L-T-A-R. An altar is where you make a sacrifice. It's where you lay down something before God. And ego, of course, ego is defined as what we believe or what we think about ourselves. And not just in a prideful way. Oh, that person has an ego. No, ego is what we believe about ourselves, whether it's good or whether it's bad. And so today, uh, over the next four weeks, let me tell you the, the, the topics for this four-part series. Now, in the middle of that, we're going to have Mother's Day. Pastor Sheila is going to bring the word on Mother's Day. It's going to be awesome, and I believe that's May the 12th, right? Uh, but the, our first session with uh, our first message, first part of this series is our feelings of inadequacy. Our feelings of inadequacy. We're going to get into that today. But the second part is our, our need for control. Oh, wow. Number three, our right to be offended. And number four, our longing for approval. We're going to find out how that affects us and how we can lay that down at the altar of the Lord. Uh, I'm reading in Romans 12, verse 3 out of the New Living Translation. This is what Paul, I believe that, uh, yeah, Paul wrote to, to the Romans. 
he, he was the writer to the Roman church, church at Rome. And uh, verse uh, 3 of chapter 12 in the New Living Translation says this, Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Now, what I get from that scripture is that we're not to think we are better or worse than what we really are. But that we should take an honest evaluation of ourselves. Notice that Paul did not say, don't evaluate yourselves. He said, evaluate yourself, but evaluate yourself on this basis, that all of us have the measure of faith. All of us have the measure of faith. So don't think of yourselves more highly or don't think of yourselves more lowly than you ought to think, right? We should, do, we should think about ourselves in the context of the faith that God has given to each one of us. Can you agree with that? And so when we find that we're thinking too highly of ourselves or we're thinking too lowly of ourselves, we should bring that ego to the altar and say, Lord, what do you think about me? What do you think about me? Because here's, uh, here's what I found, and you can write this down. Discovering who you are in Christ is the greatest discovery after making the decision to follow Jesus. The number one thing you can discover is who you are in Christ. Because up until that time where you met Christ and you chose to follow him and give your life to Christ, everything that you learned and discovered up to that point could be wrong. Right? And so we have to learn who we are in Christ now, this week, I had an occasion to go out to a tennis court. Growing up, uh, I grew up playing tennis. I played tennis all, all my life up until high school. Played on teams and all that and did that, but I let it slide. And then my brother, who's eight years younger than I am, I got the great idea a few weeks ago. Let's start playing tennis again. He said, didn't you used to play tennis? Oh, yeah, I used to play tennis. So now I'm finding myself so I can share an activity with my brother. And it promotes good health, right? And so I go and rent this racket that, you know, I'm just trying it out. And so I go to the court earlier than my brother. And so I'm out there trying to practice, you know, and I'm thinking... Uh, you know, yeah, looking for my game, and I was nervous. I, I just tell you, I was nervous. It's kind of like riding a bike, though. It's muscle memory, and I'm thinking, okay, I got this. And and there's a there's a worker there that's going to be working on the lights on the tennis court, and so I'm warming up and I'm bouncing the ball and I'm going to serve and I'm doing a little bit okay. So then I'm going to really, really, really give it. So I throw the ball up and go to hit it, and I stumble over. And in an instant, I met the court with my face. Not, not my face, but my knee first. My face was headed toward the court. And so when I got up, you know, the, the, the initial thing that you do is look around to see who saw you. <laughs> like, like, I meant to do that. And I was just checking out my shoes or 
And then you start blaming it on, it's the racket's fault, it's the ball's fault, it's the shoe's fault, it was my fault, right? <laughs> but at that moment, these thoughts went through my mind after I saw my knee with a big bloody mark on it and my skin laying there on the, on the tennis court. I thought, I'm really inadequate. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't be doing this. Um, I'm trying to do something that I did 40 years ago, and it's just not going to work. I should call up my brother and tell him, don't bother coming out here. This is not the sport for us. Let's just kind of, you know, play uh, tiddlywinks or jacks or pick up sticks or something. <laughs> what older folks do. But, you know, that feeling of inadequacy. What am I doing here? Why should, why should I think that I should be doing this? But, you know... We all have those feelings of inadequacy, um, sometimes on a daily basis. I'm just going to admit to you, Pastor Sheila and I, we talk about this a lot, but, uh, and, and, and as pastors, we deep down want to do our very best, and we want to hit this mark called success. What, what does this success look like as a pastor? And we've, we've thought about it. Listen, we've been in ministry 30 years, and so this is not anything new to us. And, and we think about this. Well, at times, we deal with this inadequacy to be a pastor. Why? Because there's pressure, so much pressure as a pastor to know everything about the Bible, to be an authority on the Hebrew language, the Greek language, the Aramaic language, to know all the customs of the Bible, to know church history, to be a communicator on the level of Billy Graham, to be a leader on the level of John Maxwell, to give an answer to every question with wisdom, to counsel everyone who needs counseling. And so that deep desire in us to be successful and to exceed everyone's expectations, including our own, brings us to this thing of inadequacy. Wow. Do we really have what it takes? And so we set those goals in our own life, guys. And sometimes it's just unrealistic and too high, too lofty. How do we deal with this feeling of inadequacy? You know, I don't know about you, but in my high school they had superlatives and I didn't win any superlative. I was bashful. I, was, I found myself in a corner. You know, uh, when the Lord called me to speak in front of people, I thought, you've got the wrong person. You know, like Moses, I stutter, stutter, you know. But it's not based on what I think, guys. My ability is not based on what I think or where I've been in my past. I don't, I'm not sure about you, but, you know, sometimes there's, Times that we feel as parents, are we doing the best job that we can? Do we feel inadequate here? And your child makes a mistake and you, you take it personal and you think, oh, did I teach them this? No, I taught them what's right and what happened here and am I adequate? Am, am I successful enough? Am I living in the right house with the right amount of money coming in? Do I have a job? Did I, did I finish that degree? And, uh, you know, I, I, I failed in this area and that area and, and you know... Then, then you look at social media and you look at everybody out there and what they're doing and you deal with those feelings of inadequacy. So today we're going to talk about that. Why do we feel inadequate? I think 
there's, I'm going to bring out three reasons. There may be more, but number one, unfair criticism. This unfair criticism that we're, we're under all the time because people judge. Have you ever noticed that? People judge. And I don't care how many scriptures in the Bible that say do not judge, people still judge. And they're judging. They're all the time looking and comparing and judging. And, you know, things spoken about you or things spoken to you shape you. And we can throw up that childish phrase all day long that says sticks and stones will break my bones and words will never hurt me. But words shape you. Words do make an impact on our life. And so there's unfair criticism. As a child, maybe you heard things like, you'll never amount to anything. Or you were a mistake. Or you were supposed to be a boy, but you turned out to be a girl. And you're supposed to be a girl, and you turned out a boy. And never living up to the expectations of your parents or your grandparents or your aunts or uncle or whoever but there's unfair criticism. You know, you're not as good as your brother. You're not as good as your sister. You should have been born last. Or if you ever got a report card and that one phrase on there, needs improvement, wow. You've got a good attitude. You make average grades or needs improvement. Like, really? Every report card needs improvement. Average. Who wants to be average? We all want to be above average, right? So this unfair criticism. If somebody said to you, well, I wish you were more like so-and-so. If you're in, you know, your second or third, fourth marriage, your mate constantly comparing you to their previous spouse. Unfair criticism. Number two, unrealistic compliments. You know, people judge, but people also flatter. And the Bible talks a lot about flattery. People say, you're incredible. You're amazing. You're the best. But deep down inside you, you know, I'm really not. I'm really not all that And the pressure to be better, that pressure to answer the question, how am I going to live up to everybody else's expectations? You know, I want a trophy, but how can I outdo that? That pressure, the unrealistic compliments. You know, some people uh, receive the trophy, but also receive that fear of failure at the same time. Wow, can I do this again? Can I outdo myself? You know, children live with that. Parents, you need to be very cautious about putting too many unrealistic expectations on, on children. We deal with that, with the feelings of inadequacy. All of us want to be appreciated, and we need to be appreciated. But when, when that appreciation is over the top, we always question the sincerity of the appreciation. But then we begin to doubt ourselves. And doubting yourself leads to feelings of inadequacy. The third thing, 
I think, that makes us feel inadequate is unwise comparisons. Boy, when I studied this, it, it, bells and alarms were going off. You know, we want to ask the question in the days that we're living in, what is really real? <laughs> what is really real? And I'm going to bring up the subject of social media. And the reason that I bring up social media is because it's such a big part of our American culture. And we have to be fair when we talk about social media, and we have to admit that people show you what they want you to see. And they don't show you the whole picture. There was an article that I ran into last night. Uh, the title of the article, and you can look, look it up. You can go back and watch this video and get this title, and you can go to this source. The source is Huffington Post. And the article is entitled, Social Media is Creating a Paradox Effect. And here's a statement that's rather shocking. Or maybe it doesn't shock you, but it's still true. Social media has been linked to higher levels of loneliness, envy, inadequacy, anxiety, depression, narcissism, and decreased social skills. In this article, now, it'd be great if I could read the whole article, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick out a few paragraphs here, and I'm going to read to you, quote, The narratives that we share and portray on social media are all positive and celebratory. It is a hybridized digital version of keeping up with the Joneses, meaning for some, sometimes it appears everyone you know are in great relationships and taking five-star vacations and living your dream life. However, what is shared across our social networks only broadcasts the positive aspects of our lives, the highlight reels. And since we're only getting people's highlight reels and comparing it to ourselves, it's natural to have reactions to what we're watching Here's some statistics. 60% of people using social media reported that it has impacted their self-esteem in a negative way. 50% of reported social media having negative effects on their relationships. 80% reported that it's easier to be deceived by others through their sharing on social media. So people are really asking the question, what is really real? What's really real? If you can take a picture of yourself and Photoshop all the dimples and pimples and blemishes and color your teeth a little bit wider than what, it really, what they really are, make yourself a little slimmer than what you really are, what is really real? What's real? What's real? Listen to this. 50% of singles say social media has generated a FOMO, F-O-M-O. A fear of missing out. They've categorized this. FOMO. Fear of missing out. F-O-M-O. It is comparing ourselves to others. If you're single and you see all of your married friends and they're doing this and having this and fun, fun, and it's wonderful and isn't married life so awesome and, I want, and they want to be married, then they're generally, uh, naturally afraid of missing out on something. It's they versus me, right? But listen to this. Research has also shown that Facebook users are becomingly, uh, becoming increasingly depressed from comparing themselves to their own profile. <laughs> this is me versus me. 
Meaning that if a person's reality does not match the digital illusion that they post on their profiles, emotionally, one may feel they are not living up to the best form of themselves. Wow, I've created this profile and I can't even live up to my own profile. I don't even know who I am. Guys, there's an identity crisis and it stems from this unhealthy use of social media, unwise comparisons. Can we all agree that we're living in a day where there's unwise comparisons? So think about that and think about how it can produce these feelings of inadequacy. Now we're going to look at Judges chapter 6 and talk about a guy named Gideon. Gideon. Who was Gideon? And why could God choose a guy named Gideon? Judges 6, 11. I'll be reading from 11 to 16. Verse 11 to 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. She's been around a long time. (laughs) That belonged to Joash, the Abazarite where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, he was threshing the wheat in a wine press. A wine press goes down into the earth. And threshing wheat, you're looking for, when you throw it up in the air, so the, the wind blows the chaff away from the, 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 seed, the kernel of wheat, right? So here's Gideon hiding in the wine press, threshing the wheat. He's down in a hole. He's hiding from the enemies, the Midianites. Little guy down in a hole doing his work, hoping the enemies don't see him because they're going to take him and the wheat. And verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Are you, you mighty man of God? The Lord is with you. (laughs) But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon asked, how can you save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. But the Lord answered, I will be with you And you will strike down all the Midianites together. So Gideon in this passage is saying, I'm not enough. And God saying, I will be with you. So here's a point. You've got to lay down your inabilities to be able to pick up God's ability. People are constantly trying to keep you down while God is constantly trying to bring you up. 
This was the case with Gideon. Why did God choose Gideon? I don't know. One day you'll have a, a, a chance to ask God why he chose Gideon. But we can, we can learn something from this interaction here. There's three things that you need to know about you. Number one is that God's view of you is different than you think. In verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, or mighty man of God. Let me ask you a question. At this point, was Gideon a mighty warrior? This is a trick question. He was, but he wasn't. Right? God saw him as a mighty warrior. But Gideon didn't see himself as a mighty warrior. How does God see you? And how do you see yourself? You know, our self-image most always is inadequate and insufficient. I can say that pretty emphatically. Because the truth is that we can do nothing of true significance without him. And so we know, we know who we are. And Gideon said, I'm the least. No, my family is, is the smallest clan, and then I'm the least in my family. Gideon didn't see, didn't see himself as, as some kind of mighty warrior, but God called him a mighty warrior. How can you tell what you think about yourself? Just listen to the words that come out of your own mouth. Take an inventory of the words that you use on a daily basis. Are they more negative than they are positive? I can't. I don't. I'm not. And then ask yourself this question. What would actually happen if I changed the way I think about myself? Look at Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Proverbs 4.23 from the Good News Translation says this. Be careful how you think. Now, out of the New King James or another version, it says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. But if you go and you look at the Good News Translation, the GNT, it says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Right? Jeremiah 29, 11 says an important thing. God says, I know the thoughts that I have Toward you, or for you, or about you. These thoughts are good thoughts. Thoughts of a future and hope. God has invested in you. And he sees you as a mighty warrior. He has called you to do a particular thing. And he, everything that he calls you to do, he always gives you the ability to do it. He is faithful. And he thinks great things about you. So we need to think great things about ourselves. We need to realize that God's view of, our, of us is different than what we think. But you say, well, I don't have a college education. 
Neither did the, uh, the first disciples, first apostles. And they did great things for the Lord. They didn't have a Ph.D. in divinity. I mean, they didn't have a doctor of theology. They didn't go off and study at some seminary. No. I don't have the money that I need to start the business that God put in my heart. So, can God fund it? You know, GoFundMe was not created by God. Could God use GoFundMe? Absolutely. But be aware that the more you ring your bell, your own bell, if God's not ringing it, then he might not be in it. Right? Well, someone told you that you couldn't, that you're not, that you won't. That's okay. You can kind of hear that in Gideon's voice. I'm the smallest. I'm the least. Look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. This one scripture up on the screen says, for we're God's handiwork. But we're God's masterpiece. God doesn't make junk. He made you, and when he made you, he said, you're very good. You're very good. Not just good. He, 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 he said good when he created the fish and the birds and the trees and everything in the earth. But when he created man, he said, this is very good. And so that's what he's saying about you. You're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So you're not who others say that you are. Right? Rahab? What did they say about Rahab? Oh, she's a harlot. Why would God choose her to save his people? How about David? Oh, he's a murderer. Why would God choose him? What about Peter? Oh, he flies off the handle. But he was the one that stood up and preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost. God's view of you is different than you think. And so here's a faith statement for you right here. Faith says, it's in your notes, you can take it home, this is what you need to confess. Faith says, God sees me unique and special. Everybody say that. God sees me unique and special. I'm perfectly made for a special assignment. Let your heart believe what your mouth just said. God sees you different than what you think. Number two, God has given you more than what you think. Judges 6.14, God told Gideon to go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And then he, he kind of asked him a question, he, but it wasn't, it wasn't really a question. It was more of a statement. God said, am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? God knew the answer. He wasn't looking for Gideon to give him the answer. He was looking for Gideon to agree with the answer. Go in the strength that I've given you. Go in the strength that I've given you. So God knows that he's given you more than what you think you have. There was a time in Italy when... When we were in Italy ministering, 
we spent eight years and, and we poured our heart into the people in Italy. It's, it's not the land. I mean, first six months, first year you're there, you're getting acclimated to all the things that are happening around you and the different ways that people do things. But then you settle down and you begin to love people. And so at one point during this eight-year period, I'm preaching and I had two interpreters and not at the same time, but they would switch off. And I would say something in English and they would say something in Italian. And there came a point at where I understood what they were saying in Italian. I think it was probably, I don't know, five years into it, something like that. And I was 34 at the time. But they would say something in Italian. And because English was not their first language, I would understand what they said in Italian. And I would say, no, 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 no. That's not what I, that's not what I said. I... And then I would say it in Italian. And I, I, I'm watching this happen. And so after one Sunday morning, we had somebody in the church that came to me. And they, they challenged me. But I didn't realize it was a challenge. They said, aren't you a man of faith? And I said, absolutely. And I didn't know what was coming next. They said, if you're a man of faith, tell that person to sit down. We want to hear from you. And immediately I thought, wow, God must know what I have that I don't know. <laughs> and it did. I had to stand up on my faith and begin to think in Italian and speak in Italian. And I kept going back to the Lord and going back to the people and saying, you know, my vocabulary is not as big as yours. But then the Lord would tell me, they don't need a big vocabulary. Truth communicated hits the heart. It's not all about high and lofty words that you use, right? It's the heart. And I would begin to minister and things would flow out of me and I would begin to speak. And I would, there, were, there was one time in particular uh, that I noticed uh, someone was crying. And I'm thinking, I'm just ministering along in Italian and I thought, I've said something wrong. And so I had to stop and say, did I say something wrong here? Because someone was crying. And they said, no, 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 Pastor. We, we believe that you don't really understand everything you are saying. <laughs> so it was flowing out of me to a degree where it superseded my ability. In other words, God has given you more than you think. Look at Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and his goodness. So you may not think you have what you need, but whatever God has called you to do, he has always and already given you the strength that you need, the words that you need to say, and you need to trust him. So here's the faith confession. Faith says this, God has given me, everybody say, God has given me, all that I need to do all that he wants me to do. Now let your heart agree with what your words just said. God's already given me all that I need to do all that he's called me to do. He knows 
what he's given you. And most generally, it's more than what you think. And the third point here that you need to know about yourself is that life is less about you than what you think. (laughs) Isn't that good? That's a good point to end on, right? Judges 6.16, the Lord answered, I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites together. God was not asking Gideon to become a superhero or an avenger. (laughs) God was asking Gideon to just agree with what God was saying about Gideon. Just agree with what God is saying about you. When you feel inadequate, God is with you. When you feel you're not a good enough mom, remember, God is with you. When you feel like you can't do it all and you can't be successful, remember, God is with you. When God calls you to do something, it's less, about, it's, it's less about your power and it's more about his presence. He says, I'm with you. His presence. He goes before you. He's in you. When you're afraid to speak, just remember God is with you. He'll give you the words. You have to step into it. You have to step into it. It's not about what others think about you. But it is about what you think about yourself. Just think what God thinks about you. Philippians 4.13 says this. For I can do everything through Christ. One version says all things. I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Now there is a qualification to that. Just because you think you might want to be president of the United States doesn't mean that God is going to give you the ability to be the president of the United States. God will enable you to do everything that he's called you to do. So it is your assignment to find out what he's called you to do and to listen to him. To say what God has already said about you in his word is to agree with how he sees you. This is the same thing as using your faith to move mountains in your life. Moving mountains of inadequacy out of your life. Using the faith in your heart and the words in your mouth to change your destiny. It's his grace and his power that makes up the difference. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9 says this. Because Paul was in a tight place when he said this. Uh, He was being challenged. His faith was being challenged. And he went to the Lord and he said, remove this thorn from me. Remove this challenge from me. And 2 Corinthians 2, 9 says, each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And then Paul says, so now I'm, I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. It wasn't that Paul was boasting because he was weak. He was expecting the power of God to work through him to make up the difference in his weakness. Right? God's power in us brings the sufficiency that we need to be able to do what he's called us to do. To move the inadequacy out of the way. So that you can accomplish what he called you to accomplish. 
Think about the way that God thinks about you. Even if you're in the bottom of a wine press, threshing the wheat out of fear that the enemy's going to come look in the hole and find you, God is with you. When God says, rise up and go defeat the enemy, God is with you. When you're shaken and you don't know if you can do it or not, God is with you. When you're standing up before people that have spoke Italian all their life and you're trying to bring a message of truth accurately, God is with you. Right? When you're falling down on the tennis court, bloodied knee, <laughs> God's with you. God is with you. Just say, God is with me. God is with me. And, and, and so let your heart agree with what his word says about you. Find out what his word says about you. Take it to heart. Make these faith, faith confessions. Here, here, here's another. Faith says this. Here's what faith says. No matter what I think or feel, say that with me. No matter what I think or feel, God is with me. And his grace is more than enough. His grace is more than enough. His grace is more than enough. Lord, we thank you for your grace today. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast. If you'd like to join us in reaching others by partnering with us today, you can give online by visiting us on our website at lifeway.church forward slash give. Thanks for listening to the Lifeway Church Podcast. And remember to subscribe to enjoy more messages like this.